Welcome to the CBA Grain Exchange Podcast. This is your host, Luke Beckman, Grain Sales Manager for Central Valley Ag. During this podcast, we dissect the latest USDA updates and discuss other key market features. Every month, you will hear from different members of the CBA Grain Team on what trends we are seeing in the marketplace and solutions to current marketing challenges. Welcome back, everybody. Episode number 49 of the CBA Grain Exchange. We are joined today by Eddie Connor. Executive Vice President of Risk Management for RJ O'Brien. Eddie, welcome back to the CVA Grain Exchange. It's great to be back in CVA country, man. Thank you for having me. That's great to have you back. I'm excited to talk through the January reports that we got on Friday the 12th. Uh, I was hoping they'd be a little bit more on the friendly side. Probably not all that surprised that they weren't. But uh, yeah, I want to get your take on the numbers, Eddie, and... Um, trying to get this in a form where producers can maybe understand the big picture and what's coming next as okay. we look down the roadmap. So let me, let me hit a few of the bullet points and then we'll, we'll go to you um, with this. Let's talk, let's talk the January production numbers first. We can talk stocks report here in a little bit, but on the 12th, the USDA finalizes, I should put that in quotes. They finalize the 23-24 production number from last fall, in addition to making their global balance sheet revisions, uh, domestic demand revisions for the United States, all of that's on the table uh, for this report. And so just from a highlights standpoint, this crop came in larger than expected. Uh, we did see a two over two bushel increase in the uh, yield, 2.4 bushels. Harvested acres were reduced to take a little bit of the sting out of that. But Overall, we had a very large production number at 15.34 billion bushels um, and a record yield. 177.3 is a record yield. We've not seen that before in the United States. Uh, so just dealing with a lot more corn on the balance sheet compared to a year ago, I believe total supplies up over 1.6 billion bushels from a year ago. Uh, so just a, a stark contrast from where we were last year at this time. Uh, larger than what the market was expecting coming in. And we did see corn, you know, react negatively to that, uh, finishing about eight cents lower uh, for that session. So, uh, I mean, that was the big picture bullet point item. I think another thing that surprised us was what they did in China, uh, taking some of those Chinese estimates that they were seeing over there and incorporating them into their data set. Uh, Chinese production up nearly 12 million metric tons. Uh, from last month. So kind of a shocker there. But Eddie, why don't we just, I want to get your thoughts on the numbers uh, on the production side from last week. Well, the, the the USDA basically gave us what I would call um, neutral to bearish numbers, whether you're talking about the uptick in corn yield, the uptick in bean yield, when you extrapolate it out through the balance sheets, we're looking at a carry out now of 2.1 uh, in corn. And last year on this, when we did this thing uh, a year ago, we were looking at something closer to 1.3 billion bushels. So we've got a more than manageable ending stocks number that we're gonna be dealing with this year. Um, they, they took the soybean number up to 280. Um, and I don't think we're, I mean, that's the carry out in the US and uh, last year we were around 243. So um, as, and I think we're not done with the uh, ballooning of the uh, US soybean carryout either. 
when we see some of the demand that we're missing to China right now at the premium levels that this crop is moving out of Brazil, I think we, we're, you're going to have guys talking north of 300 million bushel U.S. carry out in the U.S. before it's all said and done. So we're dealing with different size carryouts. It's priced. I think it's reasonably priced in our futures market right now. Um, but we have a long way to go. We have a U.S. producer who has sold 43% of his cash corn before the report. He has sold 53% of his cash beans ahead of the report. And those are about 8 to 9% below their five-year respective averages. <clears throat> so we got a U.S. producer now that has to deal with a market that's not as fun as it was last year. Production is cool, higher production, but we've got more to market. And I think we're going to, it's going to come at a time when we will be competing with an undersold Brazilian and Argentinian producer as well. So the, the, the producer in the United States and in South America is sitting on handsome amounts of corn and beans. And we're going to have to deal with that going forward. So not only did we get non-bullish numbers from the government, we're still dealing with, dealing with a producer that's going to have to, um, as we get closer to that planting season, he's going to have to uh, be more engageable. I don't know. Uh, I mean, we, we could talk $5 cash corn in Nebraska two weeks ago when the board was higher and guys were paying a higher um, basis level, but that number is going to be it's going to get harder to achieve as we go forward just with what we see going on, um, you know, in our cash markets right now. So sure. first blush, not bullish. It's more manageable. And I think the market's fairly priced in here. So if we do get into a situation where we get, we run into too hot, too cold, too wet, too dry. I always like to call it the two season. Um, and we get a, a, a positive reaction in this market, we want to be aggressive. We want the producer to engage. Um, we've seen a lot of uh, knockout accumulators um, being used in the Eastern Corn Belt, less so in the, in the Western Corn Belt. But nonetheless, the producers are trying to extend their upside as reasonable as possible with some of these OTC products that we offer um, at, at RJO. The thing also that sticks out to me, 62% of the D1 corn stocks is on farm in the US. That's up 1.3 billion bushels from last year's D1 stocks number. Of that 1.3 billion bushel increase, over 900 million of it is showed up in, to a lesser extent, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska was up a whopping 340 million bushels. So, and then the Dakotas and Minnesota also um, had major upticks in their D1 year-on-year -year stocks. So of the 1.3 increase, 950 million of it, it's in, it's located in the Western Corn Belt. So we have to deal with that. It's not just Nebraska that had a, a, a nice uptick. 
South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota also had a nice uptick. So those stocks uh, are situated in the Western Corn Belt. Yeah, that brings up a question. Now, you were talking about the Argentinian farmer and the Brazilian farmer being undersold and better crops down there. And this question, as it relates to corn, what are our export prospects looking like in corn? Because the USDA did not touch that number last week. They left it at $2.1 billion. And you're talking about a lot of corn in the Western Corn Belt. For our producers who don't know, a lot of that Dakota corn, you know, if you're talking exports, it's got to go west. You know, so if we don't have an export program and they don't have the processor concentration, maybe that our Nebraska or Iowa producers or the feed concentration that our Kansas producers are familiar with, they don't have as many of those local homes. If we don't have an export program going off the West Coast, it kind of gums things up a little bit. So maybe your your thoughts on the export program, Eddie. Well, what's interesting, that's a very, very good question. And it, it's very germane to the Western Corn Belt and your uh, member owners. We, corn exports year on year are actually higher than they were last year. When I gave my market outlook in December last year up at CVA, we were looking at a very anemic export. Uh, I mean, we were way behind. This year, we're more than 350 million bushels higher than we were a year ago on this date, and it continues to grow. The U.S. is in the driver's seat right now to continue to do Southeast Asian business. Um, I wish I could say the Chinese would come in and take some reserve corn, but that's not the case. But even if you, even if the Chinese blew into our marketplace off the West Coast and loaded up on some much cheaper corn than a year ago, um, five million tons wouldn't move the needle really. You're, you you got to carry up from then. That's at two one, looking at one nine. But the but the right now North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota corn is moving. To the PW and the 135 over the March range, the basis. That's the that's the value. That's keeping a lid on uh corn moving south, which opens up Nebraska to its domestic markets, which opens up Nebraska to Hereford markets. We don't have as much corn moving out of Illinois as we did last year. Um, so that's a positive thing for the markets uh for the Nebraska corn, um, Western Iowa, uh, if you will. So right now, we do have a very solid export program that's bigger than last year. And we've got division between the North northern production states and um, Nebraska as it relates to movement to the south. Um, so we're in a good way that we do have these exports on right now. It's just when we rotate to South America and there's some southern hemisphere production, we're going to slow up again. But right now, I think the government is solid with their number at um, uh, for corn. I don't think they need to change it that much for, for the time being. Um, and I think we'll have plenty of outlets in the ethanol market, the cattle market. We're not feeding any wheat. That's another um, positive note in the Southwest. Um, and so... It's a little bit challenging, but we're 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 seeing the daylight of our export market right now, especially off the PNW. And that's being driven because of all the 
shipping delays that we've had to endure through the Panama Canal and and uh, sailing uh, down by the Cape in South Africa, um, that that gives us a little bit of an advantage right now while we've got the green light for exports. So I'm kind of I'm, I'm it's a positive development for your producers right now, be able to go to Hereford ethanol and the P&W market. Well, it's good to hear that you're confident in the 2.1 billion bushel number. Yes, Randy wasn't willing to take his number down just yet. We have enough velocity on our export market to to most likely hit those. And we have plenty of time to take them down. But um, right now, look, we're going to we're going to stay put there right now with that export number. Okay. Well, so futures, Chicago, I mean, we're struggling. I mean, from a from a from that standpoint, from a global price standpoint, basis, you know, is in this quick ship type environment. Um, what are your thoughts on Western Corn Belt basis as it relates to your whole story there with bushels going off the West Coast and Hereford and all that? Well, with the good with, with the good flow and the good tug into the southwest part of the consuming southwest the cattle hogs poultry um that's that's solid footing um i do think that at a point we need to get the bnsf uh rail car values closer to tariff ups are trading 100 under that's good because that bobs the surface value of grain back to the interior at a better value um and so but you got to remember the railroads right now have been willing, or at least on the BNSF, to cut deals to keep the export market engaged. So it's given an artificial lift, if you will, but it also has given us that outlet that we might not be able to compete with. So I do like where we are um, on the basis level. When I look at Group 3 Nebraska at 10 over at this time of year, last year it was probably 45 because of the shortfall in our production. So we're at it still at an elevated historical premium level in Nebraska. If you're 10 over to load rail to go west, you're 25 over at a minimum to go to a, an ethanol plant, if not a little bit higher. We want to use this basis level to take advantage of some of the cash corn strength. I think it's going to be around for another four to six weeks. And then after that, we're going to start talking about going to the field. I got to, what am I going to plant? What's my best return right now? It's in Nebraska. When all things are considered, it's about $11 an acre more of uh, uh, in return to plant corn than, than, than soybeans. So I do like the basis levels that we're at. Um, I want to take advantage of any quick ship uh, strength that the market gives us. Um, and I think it will give us an opportunity to at least enhance our overall uh, cash price level at the producer level. So we want to be doing that. Makes sense. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk soybeans a little bit. Uh, a lot of folks pessimistic about the soybean export number that the USDA has on the balance sheet. We did see them lower uh, the Brazilian production. A little bit. Private numbers are lower than that. Argentina's the other side of that. They've got tremendous looking crops. As you look at the soybean balance sheet domestically for the United States, are we at risk of seeing that get over 300 million bushels uh, on this old crop? And 
what what are things we should be thinking about in the beans? I table? would say, I would say um, that the chances of the U.S. ending stocks number ballooning above three hundred are seventy percent possible. I can liken it to one input right now. You talk to the exporters. You know the Chinese came in for the reserve. They took a lot of soybeans, but we're we came up about a million tons shorter than we thought we would. Um, that that they, the Chinese took a million tons less than we had initially um, intended them to take. So right there's your thirty million that's going to bump you over three hundred million. Um, we're not as bearish on Brazilian production as some of these local uh, uh, estimator types. Um, I've even had commercials in the United States talk about still being able to achieve a 160, 160 million metric ton crop down there, even though you got, I would say that the range is between 150 and 160. I'm not in the 145 camp or even sub 150 yet. Um, and then the producer's got to be there to let it go too. So when I look at just a couple of those items, I can get us a little bit above 300 million. Can we go to 330? Depends on what ultimately uh, the production cycle uh, in South America, how it, uh, it plays out. But remember this, at a 155 Brazilian crop and the government was 157, that's still a big Brazilian bean crop. It's still a more than adequate uh, number. You gotta also throw in Argentina at 50 million. Last year, their crop size was 25 million. So you're more than making up for, uh, but you know, Brazil, I, at uh, 157, which is 3 million tons loader, you're picking up 20 million tons out of Argentina. So I'm a little bit concerned about uh, last half exports. The other thing I would, or US exports, the other thing that I would add um, to the soybean discussion here, Friday, we took Bob Brazilian cash premiums, FOB, Brazil, freighted it to the U.S. Gulf and to the eastern coast of, uh, of Norfolk, Virginia. And those values would lay in, in February, between 50 and 55 over into the uh, east coast or the U.S. Gulf for February. 30 to 35 over for March and 20 to 25 over for April, and we're talking about markets that have been trading in the mid 60s for barges. That's how cheap those beans are going to get. I'm not saying people are going to import them. It leaves a bad taste in the U.S. producer's mouth, but on paper, it looks cheap enough where you could bring them in and make it work. Okay. Um, the function of the market right now is to crush those beans domestically and finish up the export program, which yields gives way to South America um, once we get late, late into Feb and into March. So the values, the premiums in Brazil broke 60 cents a bushel this week. 
what they were selling for February would fob back to the P&W at 20 over fob. That market a week to 10 days ago, even early this during the week, was 145 over. So it shows you the magnitude of the premium destruction that's taking place with the size of the crop that's being supported by a producer who hasn't sold down there either. That's kind of the makeup we're going, we're going to be up against going forward. So, you know, the other thing too in the soybean market, October, November, crush margins, net crush margins in the US were $225, uh, $2.25 a bushel margin. We are now flirting with a buck at most of those domestic plants. So I'm not saying it's over for the domestic guy, but he doesn't have a lot of incentive to be paying what they are, even though they're posting less than what our export market has been for Q, you know, for the last 90 days. So it's going to be very, very hard to twist their arm and get any kind of um, premium push out of them. Um, even though the stock situation was in these one stocks increased uh, or excuse me, was actually down a little bit year on year. Um, I don't see the opportunity where we're going to be able to get some of those supersized premiums that we did early in the, the crop year after harvest. Well, you just touched on the soybean stocks situation and you had covered, covered corn. So I think we've covered a lot of the bases not a lot of bullish stuff out there, Eddie. I mean, if you're a producer sitting here, one of our farmers with, you know, unsold old crop sitting on the farm, part of those big on-farm uh, stocks increases year over year, what's the outlook there? I mean, what can we do? Should we just be cutting bait and and uh, selling? Well, what we got? Um, what can it, we it's do? hard for me to tell somebody whose livelihood is production to sell, but I also want to make sure that we're cognizant of all the influences that are going into um, the price valuation right now. Um, and, you know, if we can, if the U.S. carryout does happen to swell above 300 million, you know, you're going to have people talking about $11 futures or, or maybe even a little bit less. Um, and we've already had a, a precipitous drop from futures um, this summer when we were close to $16 and now we're at $12.24. Um, but we have a lot of supply that's going to be hitting the marketplace. I think it's going to be very difficult to stage any kind of significant rally, even if our weather changes for the worse. But we're 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 kind of in a in a uh, way right now where the export demand starts to fade. The domestic demand will try to fade with it. And then we have adequate worldwide stocks um, hitting the marketplace. So um, I think we need to be, we at least need to catch up uh, corn marketings and bean marketings by another eight to 10%. Then we can pause, see how it looks as we get a little bit closer to. Um, the planting uh, season. Um, I would like to also. I would. We have much more money coming into our market 
that is fundamentally biased. So they're not helping. Uh, when you look at the balance sheet, it's, it's very easy to look at it and say, there's nothing bullish here. I'm going to lean on it some more. But if we could ever get that managed money, who's roughly short 242,000 contracts of corn, 40,000 contracts of beans, and roughly 100,000 contracts of combined wheat totals, if we could ever get him flushed, it would be good to use any kind of upside in the board that it would maybe allow the U.S. producer to get that next 8 to 10% sold. I think that would be the prudent thing to do. So we're set up for something, but it's so obvious, you just got to wonder if it, if it's something that can develop, develop into positive traction on futures. The good thing is, I think we're near the lower boundaries in corn right now from the, the flat price. I'm not saying we're going to $3, but when we're typically set up with this kind of carryover, Randy would bracket futures between 425 and 475 at least 450, but 425 to 475. So if we get that opportunity, and I'm sure we'll get, it's not just dead on arrival here. I think we're going to get an opportunity to sell a little bit of a spring rally, but I want to get the producer caught up because he's behind and he's got his Southern uh, South American uh, producer brothers that are going to be breathing down our backs. And that's something that's not going to be pleasant. Well, lots to think about there, Eddie, as we deal with uh, burdensome numbers that we haven't had probably for three years, uh, kind of transitioning back to larger carryouts and bigger global carryouts, heading into an interesting year with uh, interest rate conversations and an election cycle here in the United States. So there's a lot of different things flying around that can impact our space. Absolutely. Um, and they're all identifiable so that, I mean, just stay tuned to what's going on in ethanol, what's going on in Hereford. I don't know if the Chinese are going to bail us out in any way, shape or form, but with their stock situation, um, a lot less ginger, except wheat, I think um, we're going to, you know, we're not going to get a whole lot of help out of them demand wise. And they bought a fair chunk of beans out of the U.S., but that window is, is closing rather quickly. Um, and I do think that as we get closer to the planting season, most of the handlers that we network with, like yourselves, have said, we're going to buy that next tranche of corn in March. We got a little bit of corn to move. Uh, we did have a little bit of corn move around the holidays when we had good fall weather. That stuff moved, but... We, we still have to play catch up with the with what the producers got sold. But I think we'll see another tranche of corn on a time wavelength move in March. So we need to be thinking about that, too, because if we're all trying to uh, squeeze it through the tube at the same time, it's going to be a tough fit, in my opinion. Right. Well, Eddie, lots lots of appreciation for you coming on to discuss the reports from last week uh, certainly had a negative tilt to them, but things we can navigate, uh, if I heard anything bullish in there, it's that we've been on the bear train here for this move for a little while and manage money's really growing their short position. So uh, it's, it's sizable and it matters. And so mm -hmm. if there's that one spark or catalyst 
um, we need to take advantage of it. And the the, produ the U.S. producer, they're they're the best at producing grain, and we want to make sure that we're giving them everything they can look at to make that informed decision, because it's it's not an easy de decision down here, um, but it's a decision that they can make. Um, so yeah, I, I I think, and I don't know if it's war, I don't know if it's Chinese reserve. Um, I don't know if it'll be a rebound in uh, crush margins. Um, you know, we just took $90 a ton out of the cash meal market, futures market, and the cash market is starting to uh, backpedal a little bit. So, um, you know, the markets look materially different than what they looked like just 45 days ago. Um, and there's just something about bihemispheric production in the US and in South America that allows these guys to leg across and take advantage of weaker evaluations as we go forward into the spring. I do expect the ethanol margin will come back, um, which, uh, you know, there's a lot of bloom coming off the electric cars and guys are talking about you know, how can we continue to produce energy in this country the way we do? We're the most efficient at it. I think we're going to see that ethanol numbers hang in there tough. We're, we're at a time frame when margins are no good because it's winter time and we're all cooped up. But I do sense it will come back. And there's a little bit of margin now. But we had a good run all the way uh, through Christmas where these guys were making from Halloween through Christmas, it was 30 cents net per gallon to 40 cents, sometimes 25. We're now we're, when we could be sitting here at negative 15 or 20 cents a gallon, uh, we're, we're actually break even a positive. So I don't think we'll see a slowdown. There. That's one good positive development for your producer base is to, you know, these guys are covered through January. They got a good chunk on through um, February of corn and then it's wide open again about the time we start scratching in the dirt and deciding what we're going to do so again i do think there's going to be opportunity windows on the basis on the ethanol uh, margin ability margin ability front um and then we just we i hope we get the funds spooked into trying to cover you know 250,000 contracts of corn short in here and i think that will be our opportunity that, that we we know what to do when that happens we want to make sure our producers understand that opportunity when it happens you bet palms out time well yes. Eddie, very good appreciate your time discussing the january wasd report and the these one grain stocks report we'll be sure to have you on again as we get into uh, the U.S. growing season. But that's going to do it for episode number 49 of the CVA Grain Exchange. That was Eddie Connor, Executive Vice President of Risk Management for RJ O'Brien. Until next time, stay safe. Thanks for listening to the CVA Grain Exchange. Stay up to date on all things CVA Grain by signing up for our grain emails at cvacoop.com slash grain or follow us on social media at Central Valley Ag on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next month, and until then, stay safe.